Brexit is happening on uh, Friday night, but we're not going to talk about that because I reckon there's going to be a whole year more of talking about that. Yes, we're at half time. We're at half time, according to Leo, um, uh, where it's one nil up from him. Yeah, it, it's been a pretty boring half, I think. I'm not sure. I think one nil is possibly flattering it. Um, <laughs> I, I reckon it's nil nil, and it's been a pretty stultifying spirit crushing half of football and, and most neutrals have probably switched off and made a cup of tea. Well indeed I think Leo obviously has an election on at the moment so uh, wants to put himself forward as being a winner uh, so that everybody will rally round. I, I don't think that's going terribly well. You, just you'd like to think of himself as Jurgen Klopp but he might be more Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I'll leave the football analogies to yourself and quickly, quickly move on. Um, I, I think the First thing we might want to look at is is uh, spending in Northern Ireland and and the fact that of course with the great launch of our new uh, executive and assembly uh, all of a sudden there's talk of not having enough money. Uh, I think one of the first things I would ask uh, and it seems to be the solution is more money uh, and of course in business that's not where you first look. Uh, it's are we spending the money we've got wisely. And I just don't have a lot of confidence at the moment that they are. And perhaps the latest debacle over the MOT centres suggests that whilst they're good at taking money in, um, the sustainability of the service, the routine maintenance, the, the actually making sure that what you're doing is being done well, uh, the corners are cut or things just aren't done properly. Yes, there's been this Chestnut has come out over the MOT centre debacle that MOT centres are supposed to be self-sustaining and, and you know some people even saying that they're actually making a profit but the principle of any business is that uh, your profit is after your costs which include maintenance and keeping things up to a particular standard and that doesn't seem to have been factored in in this instance. No, and, and the maintenance issue for me, uh, having, having worked with uh, engineering businesses uh, and, and facilities management companies, uh, the big question is how come they've all gone wrong at the same time? I'm not suggesting that maybe they've all gone wrong at precisely the same time, but clearly suddenly someone's taken a look across the board and discovered that pretty well all of them, or pretty well most of them, uh, aren't, aren't fit for purpose. Yeah, and, and the concern has been raised at this point, just as we get a, a new executive as well, which I suppose is um, convenient in a sense, or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it. But it, do, it does echo, though, um, the public sector approach to, uh, to managing, uh, which I think we've had RHI, I think that's coming out in the next month or so, isn't it, in terms of that, mm. but we, we, you know, many of us watched some of the uh, performances up in, in front of the inquiry uh, and they didn't inspire confidence uh, and that didn't just happen I think that's been long running uh, before RHI we had the water service 10 years ago I mean I think you mentioned earlier when we were chatting you know it, it, it's ironic that 10 years ago at the start of the last decade we entered it with a with a disaster in in the water services and now we're entering this one with MOT different scale different sizes but still uh, a reflection of questions within the management processes of the public sector well that's right and we're kicking off 
this assembly with a document called New Decade, New Approach, which we're probably, most of us are rightly cynical about. Um, the water crisis did occur, you know, ten, 10 years ago, and there was that kind of spell of inclement weather over Christmas, but it was something that was more deeply embedded um, than that. And 10 years on, Northern Ireland is still the only place without water charges. We still have the worst water infrastructure in the UK by some distance, and those two things are linked, of course, and Northern Ireland water hasn't been mutualised or, or privatised property, and we haven't had a conversation about that, I suppose, which is, which is the even more damning aspect of it. That, that's the surprising aspect, because um, instantly, whenever you're talking about water charges, which it seems to be all that our politicians are capable you that's as far as any conversation will go water charges we're not having them which means that somehow we all have to go into a a process of not talking about it uh, whereas you know 10 years ago part of the discussion back then had been the water service had been heading towards an independent uh, body of some sort uh, still public sector but perhaps as you said mutualized or or, or sitting alongside that would be able to pull down money from the private sector or from bonds or from other uh, other factors. Um, uh, and that conversation just hasn't been held. It, there, there's been no movement in 10 years on how do you address the problem. And if there is 2.5 million investment uh, that is needed in the water service, uh, 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been 2.5 billion. So we're now going to be spending even more than we would have had had we kept the routine management and maintenance and programs in place to constantly upgrade step by step. Uh, that seems to me a waste. Yeah, I mean, again, it's something that would be pretty instinctive in the private sector where you know um, that if you neglect something that the cost of it in the end will be higher. And um, I think the, the sort of most depressing thing from my perspective is that I have absolutely no confidence that if we're having the same discussion in 2030, which all being well, we'd, we'd <laughs> still be able to have the, the discussion in 2030, David, that anything will have been done about it or anything will have improved. It doesn't inspire confidence that even the hint, I think we had uh, by one minister, that we might have to discuss mm. water charging or, or, or reform of the water service ended up with a flat there's going to be no water charges uh, within a few hours from another minister. That just doesn't sound to me like a coherent approach to issues from within the executive. No, and is there no room for discussion? We were told that um, the rates bill includes water charges, that there's a component of that rates bill that covers our, uh, our water. So is there an argument for separating that yep. out in the bill so that we can see, you that. see can, what you have to pay we can get see you, what you are paying see what we are paying and, yep. and get used to the idea that we're not getting water free for free and that this isn't something that we have been granted by our political overlords but that, that confidence issue does then extend into uh, and i don't want to go into the whole brexit discussion uh, because i said we're going to have plenty of time of that in the future but it was this vote in the assembly which was uh, I mean, you, you could describe it as token, in which case you could say, why bother, uh, that to reject Brexit? 
But again, it was in a complete lack of context. There was no sense of, okay, so we reject Brexit. Guys, it's going to happen. So was, there was nothing in any of the speeches that, that hinted or was reported, uh, because obviously nothing of much importance was said. But we know it's going to happen, and therefore we need to, to step forward, and, and we need to take charge of that process here in Northern Ireland, other than trying to hold Boris to account. Having said, well, most of the parties having said, you can't trust Boris. So mm. I'm not quite sure how they're ho holding Boris to account if they neither trust him or say all he does is tell lies. Yeah, well, I mean, setting aside your, your view in the withdrawal agreement, I know that we've uh, you know, I, I, have, I have some grave concerns, you think maybe they're a little overstated, but irrespective of that, we're now coming up to four years down the line from uh, yeah. the, the referendum result, and um, we've seen sort of various scenarios emerge of how Northern Ireland could end up at the end of this process, but there has been no serious discussion at any point about how Northern Ireland might uh, make the best of yeah. uh, whatever scenario where we finish up with there's been no kind of constructive um, conversation about how we might exploit um, elements of, of Brexit and that conversation continues to be docked so that is again a kind of a an indication of where we're going with this new executive and the kind of style that we will see from them. Well again in, uh, you know I, I never liked the, the, the the threat metrics, or you know, I think where it's sort of uh, threats, um, it's risks and opportunities exist yeah. in everything. So if there if there's a risk, there's probably also an opportunity in some way. So, but no one is talking about opportunity, and that's again with, with that catalogue of you know the the, the MOT or giant water service, whatever. You know the confidence that our politicians are actually going to get that our civil service is capable of getting a grip on things and taking advantage. You just have to be somewhat concerned uh, that there's uh, a capability going forward, particularly with the like of MOT heading so quickly into uh, the new year and the constant, he says this, I'm saying no, uh, approach to uh, public statements by the parties, all within the same executive. Yeah, and and this, uh, get this tendency is almost uh, illustrated by the geography of Stormont, where people come out of the executive or out of um, or out of the assembly chamber and they're confronted with with the press and they give these kind of gang press statements yeah. that all contradict each other there's no there's no management there is there there's no, no. there's no there, there's no one that is actually holding this all together in terms of acting like an executive mm. acting in any way collectively or coherently in that respect and i mean i suppose we should call it that it is mainly Sinn Féin, who's doing this shutting down of conversations repeatedly. There's certain issues that they feel can't be raised or that are too um, sensitive to, to, to broach. Um, so we can't have a grown-up discussion about many of these things because they just won't allow it. They won't have a conversation in the first place or they close down a conversation before it started. Uh, just just uh, uh, moving slightly along, uh, because the, the other issue that struck, uh, and I think it's simply because it's been a bit obvious in this election, is um, is co-option or people moving around from from seats to seats and uh, and the, polit the, the political gene pool, if you like, uh, not really varying to a great extent. Uh, we seem to have 
uh, an ability for people to uh, change seats like a game of musical chairs. Uh, the most uh, obvious one, uh, I think, in the, at the start of this has been Naomi Long, who uh, wasn't even out of her seat in Europe. Uh, I think she might be over there voting uh, this week. Uh, she wasn't even out of her European MEP seat before she was sitting in a Stormont executive as an assembly member. Uh, having been co-opted, mm. um, you know, someone who had been uh, had given up her seat, uh, having been elected as an MEP, uh, but of course she was previously uh, in Westminster and uh, Assembly, and then Westminster, and then dropped the Assembly seat, and then lost Westminster, and then back in the Assembly, and then out of the Assembly, and then into Europe, and then you know, it it it's unedifying to a certain extent. Um, it's um, okay, she's leader, uh, but. I still think it's it's kind of saying nobody can do the job like me. Yeah, it, it's a sort of form of exploitation of the system, really. This um, this kind of form of musical chairs that they indulge in. I don't know whether it, it, it's it's kind of an abusive democracy as well. And I know that there are um, arguments against having by elections in these kind of situations because of the kind of makeup of of. Um, Multi-member constituencies, uh, multi but they do it in the south. I mean, there were four mm -hmm. by-elections because MEPs had <coughs> people had won their MEP uh, elections and they had moved to to the European Parliament, and there were four mm. by-elections in the south. Well, uh, and that you know, it said one of the reasons why Leo Varadkar basically called an election was because his minority government had become even more of a minority because mm -hmm. they had lost three seats in that process. So, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to have elections. I will, I, I can't see any argument why you can't have elections when something changes or someone moves. I think the problem, and you know, I, I, I want to take it away from Naomi Long, because that, that was just, if you like, a, a very, obvi a very yeah. obvious example mm -hmm. of what was happening. But you know, the other parties have been at it as well, obviously, because that's the rules. You can, mm -hmm. you can do it. Uh, it's like um, Claire Sugden got the seat because it was practically bequeathed to her by, by David McClarity. Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 yes, it, these it, it, people have their kind it, of protégés yeah, that yeah, they it, it, in place. Like, like to bequeath a seat, I, I can't imagine anything worse in, 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 in a democratic <laughs> environment. It sounds rather like it's a, it's a seat as of right, almost that it's your seat rather than you simply being the servant of the people that you're in charge of the people. I, I, I find it deeply disturbing. But, but <clears throat> more widely... Um, you know, twenty percent of the MLAs that are now sitting up at Stormont, uh, you know, holding this executive to account, were appointed by the parties. Mm -hmm. They weren't elected; they were appointed by the parties that uh, are now in the executive, and that again, just just doesn't seem to me to be right. Whenever our kind of faith in our democratic institutions is quite low anyway, and I say our um, as a society, it can only undermine it further. And again, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record again, but, but I, I'm, I'm going to point the finger at Sinn Féin in this because once more, the DUP actually do it too, and they shouldn't be uh, absolved of that. But Sinn Féin's use of co-option is particularly cynical. The, the idea that I get, it's, it's almost a kind of an ideological point with Sinn Féin because they want to 
project this idea that you're voting for a movement rather than an individual and that the individuals are, are kind of interchangeable in this, which undermines the whole representative democracy that we have. But I think that's almost the point with them. Um, I know, it's I, a I, sign I, I, of contempt for the, the system, a sign of contempt for the polity. But um, if, they, if they think that's... I, I don't know the, the motivation in that, uh, in terms of, of, of how they think that plays out. But you'd have to respond to that approach by saying it's not working. Because no. you know, showing contempt to the electorate is never a good idea. And the truth is that outside of the 27 Westminster outlier election, as I like to call it, because that was one that was particularly polarised between Sinn Féin and uh, the DUP just after the uh, RHI debacle and the, and the fall of Stormont and the, that assembly election. You know, other than that, Sinn Féin's vote has been in decline, mm -hmm. uh, a pretty steady decline. So whatever they think uh, they represent, they haven't been on a run of success. And in some cases where you know, they've had a particularly seemingly weak individual or unpopular individual and uh, you think about Alicia McCallion and um, in, in foil they've really taken a bad beating because of that There's 17,000 votes lost that's mm -hmm. a that's a a big leap of, you know I'd heard that she wasn't popular in the city I, mm -hmm. I had no way of knowing whether that was true or not but quite clearly if you're losing 17,000 votes, it must have been in, in, to some extent uh, because if she'd been popular and if she'd been someone that the people at least respected, she wouldn't have lost seventeen thousand votes. No, absolutely not. And yeah. you know that that it exposes the attitude of Sinn Féin as, as something that's a weakness. Yeah, the I mean they ultimate. they gained eight thousand votes uh, to beat Mark Durkin, but they not only lost those votes again at the last election, but they lost a further nine thousand, and that is mm. that is incredible. So whatever they whatever parties think. Uh, about the co-option rule, it's not working for the parties, and I don't believe it's working for our democracy. I think by-elections, however predictable it might be in a certain constituency, I still think they're worthwhile uh, to, to maintain uh, the power with the electorate rather than the power with the parties. Uh, our, yeah. our government can't be run for the benefit of the parties. And traditionally, I think that we've viewed that here, uh, we've kind of looked at the dominance of the two bigger parties and thought that by-elections would maybe make that even stronger. But I don't think that's actually necessarily the case. And I mean, you've cited the, the example of Fine Gael, who started in a strong position and actually their, uh, their numbers dwindled due to the by-elections. Yeah. It's something that would allow people to register a protest between elections, something that could breathe new life into yep. the institutions that could put new talent in there and um, people could run you know very pointed issue-based campaigns on the back of that so I, I really don't understand why we're not again at least having a discussion around that uh, well I think because the parties don't want that discussion and and there doesn't seem to be anybody out there who wants to pick up pick it up and, and run with it People are just too content with the status quo, which would almost take us back to where we started. The status quo isn't good enough any longer. People want change and they want better government. 
and a government that works. And I'm, like I said, in confidence terms from the outset, I'm not sure we've got that. If the institutions are going to endure um, these rebooted institutions, they really need to, to work on that and they really need to think about how they can both work more cooperatively and command more confidence in the general public. Good spot to stop and uh, we'll meet up again when, uh, when the UK is free and sovereign once again. <laughs> okay, but David. Cheers.